Veteran-founded, nonprofit National University is home of four-week classes and career-focused programs. Visit nu.edu slash project to learn more. On this episode of the Panjway Podcast, we sit down with Eric Boyce. Eric was a forward observer, or Fister, assigned to 1st Platoon, Bravo Company 164 at Cop Sparwangar in 2012. Eric talks to us about his experiences in Panjway, and most specifically the day he was shot while on patrol in Sketcha. It was a ton of fun catching up with Eric, and we found some really profound observations came out of our interview. We think you'll really enjoy it, so without further delay, the next episode of the Panjway Podcast starts now. Looking back on it now, I realize the that the the um, you know the extremity of the situation was truly unique, and I should have documented more. But yeah, oh well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Should have, yeah. could have. I mean, there's still pictures. I mean, yeah, there's right. still the several song, great you know. pictures of you know us in some form or fashion that you could like you know your grandkids and be like, hey, look, that's there's dad at war, you know. All <laughs> right. <laughs> there's too many pictures of people like cheesing on the cop. There's not there's not very many pictures of us like on patrol. You know, I I got a a good Boy stack Scout of photos. Yeah. I got a, a stack of photos because I'd carry that camera with me, and LT would be like, "Take some pictures of this, take pictures of that." Mm-hmm. Like we went into one compound, and I was on a night raid or something, and we went in there, and there were just radio. It was like a, a radio shack. There were just radios and all kinds mm-hmm. of electronics that had just been shredded and torn apart. Yeah, and all their there was like an old gas out. mask. Yeah, they had all kinds of stuff in there, but. Yeah, so I, cool. I had a camera. I've got a lot of pictures of the before the grape rows started growing. I was looking at them mm-hmm. today before mm-hmm. they started growing, and then kind of as the, everything grew up and got a lot thicker. Yeah, man. I've actually I used to have a picture of you standing in front of a poppy field. It was like this massive poppy field uh, when they were in full bloom. It's actually kind of a nice picture. It's like this weird yeah, juxtaposition. They look, they look really nice. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty flower, right? But then mm-hmm. you're sitting there like in full kit. <laughs> it's just kind of a weird little combo. It's kind of lost on you. Yeah, <laughs> right, for sure. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Panjway Podcast. We're sitting here with Eric Boyce, who was our 13 Foxtrot. Is that the right nomenclature on that MLS? Yeah, thir- 13 Fox, Ford Observer, Fister. Cool. All the above. So Eric uh, deployed with us... Um, and spent a few months there in Afghanistan until fate decided to send him home a little bit early, which Another we'll get early, to. Early departure. Another early departure, which we'll get yeah. to here in Quitter a little while. But. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So usually what we do, Eric, when we start these off is we just give somebody a chance to give us the, the kind of brief, quick version of why the Army, why your MOS, um, and since you're actually not in 11 Bravo, unlike the majority of our guests so far, why don't you give us the scoop on what exactly a Fister is and what they t- traditionally would do? And then tell us how you got to Bravo Company. Yeah, so growing up, I always wanted to be in the military. I wanted to join the Marines for a long time, or the Army. It didn't really matter too much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to join the Marines. That was kind of at the top of the list. Um, I graduated high school, and my senior year, I met my now wife. And that kind of put all my plans on on delay for a while. But after a while, I was like, you know what, I want to I join the military. We're going to do it. 
So I told her, I said, well, you can come with me or we can stay. And we talked about it and decided, hey, let's get married, which is, you know, great first steps of joining the military out of high school is to get married first. <laughs> if you really right. want to have a successful marriage, that's uh, that's one really good way to sabotage is get, join the military and get married, right? One before the other. Yeah, right. Yeah. So I, I, I settled on the army because uh, it seemed to be a little bit more friendly as far as uh, family wise. The Marines had a lot more out of country posts that you could get stationed at and you couldn't bring your wife. So mm -hmm. I uh, joined the army, went and talked to the recruiter and they said, you got three options. I, I wanted a combat arms. If I'm going to join the military, I want, I want to be combat arms. Sure. So I didn't have infantry. So they said, you got three options. You got Cav scout, combat engineer or forward observer. And I, my cousin, he was a combat engineer in Afghanistan. He did a, at least one deployment for like, I think he said, 16, 18 months, somewhere in there, a really long one. Um, yeah. And he said, combat engineer, don't do that. He goes, you look for IEDs and then you find them or they find you. Mm. I said, ah, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. Cav scout doesn't sound great. So I was like, what's an FOD? be a Cav scout, you know. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> which is funny because my first unit was a Cav unit. I ended up as a Cav scout in a Cav scout unit anyway. Nice. So Which I asked him, that? I said, well, well what's, a, what's an FO do? And they well, he's kind of on the front lines, but they kind of hang back and they, they you know, observe and they call, call in artillery and talk to helicopters and airplanes. He didn't really know either because he was a tanker, but he kind of gave me a, yeah, gave me the line. And I was like, well, that sounds good. Let's do that. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's how I became a, an FO. This um, is the uh, 13 Foxtrot, is that, that knows it or is it AIT? No, you go th through basic and you do AIT afterwards. So I, okay. I went to basic yep, in Kentucky and then I did AIT at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Okay. So so for people who aren't in the army or aren't in the military, you know, there's, there's two different ways that some jobs work. The vast majority of jobs in the army go to basic training first, which is nine weeks. Is that right? Yeah, okay. something like that. And then they go on to um, AIT or advanced individual training where they get the the specifics of that job. The infantry, and I think some of the other combat arms. Tankers? Uh, tankers. Tankers and Cav Scouts, I know. They, they, were, they, were, they were both at, in Kentucky when, when I was going through there. Yeah, yeah. they both yeah. do OSIT. I don't know who, I don't know if anybody else does OSIT. I think that's it. So for the infantry, in our specific example, at least before when Benning was just infantry, now it's like everybody or whatever. But you go to OSIT or one station unit training, and uh, you would go to Fort Benning, Georgia, and you didn't get nine weeks and then go on AIT. You got 16 weeks with the same drill sergeant, same platoon, same unit. It's 24 weeks now. Oh, my God. Are you serious? <laughs> yep. Holy That's shit. Time. Everybody that constantly complained about them not learning enough in OSIT, they're like, okay, fine. <laughs> Here's Man. two more months. Surely <laughs> surely they're, they're a little bit like easier on them now. I would hope that they... They give them more flexibility and free. Oh, even though I've heard that they've actually taken away the shark attack now. I, yeah, I yeah, heard they that have. too. They have. Really? They've That's replaced sad. it with something else, which is still, it's still like designed to in, in, impose stress, but I yeah. Don't know. The shark attack is like a, a shark attack thing, man. stress you out. That's for sure. We yeah. had shark attacks in warrant officer school. It was yeah. so it's weird. It's like, <laughs> screw you, man. I'm a combat veteran. Get out of my face. <laughs> uh, if I don't know what I know now, like going back to base training, I'd just half-assed all the smoking and stuff because you know, you think you have to like yeah. really push yourself until you're literally collapsing. I've just been like, meh. 
Anyway, the one guy that was already like that was just kind of like you know sagging and relaxing. So then they never stopped, and that yeah. guy was just chilling <laughs> through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, I think if you're like an older private going in, you would probably understand that it's all just theatrics, mm-hmm. you know. And so yeah. it would be you'd if I could go back and do basic training again now, which I don't think I would actually gladly do. Maybe not for four months, but for you know just a couple weeks, just Maybe to four fuck weeks. with yeah. Just to fuck with the drill sergeants as much as they're fucking with you, you know? Yeah, but you could wear your CIB and your combat patch and all that stuff in there, too. So then they, <laughs> what are they going to say to you? And and nowadays, most of the drill sergeants probably don't even have a, like, a combat That's patch. That's true, yeah. Not that, yeah. that really matters You heard it here anybody. first, folks. Luke Coffey would like to rejoin the United States Army. No. I would <laughs> definitely not. Never. <laughs> Never. Oh man. Yeah. Just kidding. He just it was he wants the, to go to It was the worst again. good decision I ever made. It's funny how it works like that, isn't it? Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's the best it's a decision, worst decision you don't ever. regret doing, but something that you would not uh, choose to do again. to do a second time. You yeah. Know? For sure. Well, I, think I, I wouldn't you, you think you it. might would, again, but, but really you wouldn't. Yeah. Oh, I never have that problem. I I, I never sit around going, hey, I wish I would have stayed in. No. Or like, oh, I wish I, I wish I would have done that. Like, I've never yeah. done that because I've, I had loathed being in so much. <laughs> now, I've come so to I, realize. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed my time. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I say that now. I, I feel <laughs> like I enjoyed it when I was in there because now I'm just like, man, that was a lot of fun. You know, that was I had a good time. Mm. But, well, fuck you. When you look back <laughs> on it, your brain wants to remember the good stuff. Yeah, yeah that's what that's what I'm saying. I, I think yeah. back on it and I'm like, man, that you know, that'd be fun to do that again. But then I'm also sitting there thinking, I'm like, don't don't be a jackass, dude. You, yeah, you it's don't like want to do you, that again. You remember, like you know, Curtis, I'm breaking my rule. You remember shooting the Gustav, yeah. but uh, <laughs> Curtis has so forbidden me from mentioning the Gustav, but I'm going to do it anyways. <laughs> so you remember that, but that was literally like three seconds of a right. nine month deployment, you know? Yeah, versus the countless hours you spent on a Saturday because somebody in the battalion got a DUI so you go in in full kit because that makes sense. Somebody yeah. lost having to get a haircut the week before you get out of the army just so you can get oh, your clearing papers. triggered. <laughs> don't even don't even get me going on that. Oh man. Like it would be a whole other episode where I'm just going to rant about how stupid army the army is on, on a lot of stuff. You'd be right, more than one done. episode yeah. for that. Yeah, that's yeah. a series. That's a mini series for sure. That's a whole yeah. other podcast. It is a yeah. whole other podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Why the army blows. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Well we've already promised Nance we'll have him back on for a session. Yeah, that's gonna be a round brief. table for sure. Yeah. Uh, that'd be if you could get like a whole like a whole Zoom meeting going, like twelve people in there and they just go round table and then whoever can't think of something at the end of it, they they get they get cut from the meeting until there's level <laughs> last man standing. Have a gauntlet, a bitch. Yeah. Most opinionated gauntlet. will survive. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that idea. This will be the yeah. We'll, we'll come up with a clever name for it. The gauntlet <laughs> of complaints. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, uh, so you got out of AIT. Yep. And then we're we're off to so, next. Yep. Yeah, so I was in AIT, and they you know handing out orders to everybody. Half of us went to Hawaii. The rest of us went to Fort Stewart. Hmm. So I ended up at Fort Stewart, went to a CAV unit, 3-7 CAV in 2nd okay. Brigade. Um, we were there for a while. Kind of got popped up on the radar of a few of the brigade-level NCOs with a few other of the new guys that showed up. So they had a, 
a brigade-wide FO competition, and a few of us scored pretty high on, on the competition. And so then they started putting together a brigade cult team. They're rebuilding it, which is a combat observation and lazing team, and that is a brigade-level asset. And they were rebuilding that team from the prior deployment that they had just gotten back from that you were on, uh, mm -hmm. Luke. Mm -hmm. So they're rebuilding that, and they pulled... They pulled a whole bunch of us up to 1-9 uh, FA, so an artillery unit, and they they picked the NCOs that they wanted, some of the higher quality NCOs from the battalions that uh, also had popped up on the brigade level radar to the, like the fires NCO. So they picked their NCOs and then they went through and they, of their NCOs that they had picked, they said, all right, I want you to pick people that you think would be good up here from your units. So like... No matter what the other battalions, uh, 1st of the 30th or 164 or 37 Cav, they didn't have a say in it. But they picked the guys they wanted to be at the uh, in the Colt team. So about, I don't know, I showed up in January of 37, and by August I was in, in I was in 1-9. And so that was in 2011. So mm -hmm. like, get to 1-9 and we're kind of doing our thing, and then, you know, November kind of rolls around, and then it's... That that rumor mill is coming. Yeah, yeah. So hey, there's going to be a deployment. You know, at that, that time, at least at least for me, everybody wanted to wanted to deploy, wanted to get that patch or that you know whatever. They didn't didn't join the military just to be garrison. So everybody's getting a little excited, and we're in one nine at the time. And uh, December came around. They said, all right, well, we're going to NTC to support. Uh, first to the thirtieth, because they had just gotten orders hmm. to deploy, and they pulled. <laughs> so they pulled two FOs from one nine that weren't a part of the Colt team, but they were like uh, they were staff FOs, so mm -hmm. they were working in the S shops and stuff. They oh, pulled them terrible. to deploy with uh, first to the thirtieth. Hmm. So we're like, well, maybe maybe we'll get our shot on the next, you know, the next go. So. Christmas came around and we had loaded up all of our uh, all of our duffel bags and we were headed to NTC to support first of the thirtieth. When right before Christmas leave, our uh, <clears throat> our platoon sergeant called us in and he had a little meeting for us and he said, "All right, guys, one six four is deploying and uh, they need FOs. So who wants to go?" So a few of us raised our hands. A few of us didn't. I think, if I remember correctly. And then did you raise the rest, your hand? Don't tell my wife, but yes, yes, I, <laughs> I don't know. If she, I don't know if she knows that, but that's kind of like I was wondering if that was household knowledge. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, don't, don't tell my wife. So, um, she's gonna listen she's not to gonna this, episode, so, right? what's that? She's not gonna listen to this, is she? Uh, I she might listen to this one. I was listening to uh, you know, Captain Kitchens or Lieutenant Colonel Kitchen now. I was listening to his yesterday and she got up and walked out and said, there's a reason I don't listen to these. So, <laughs> so I don't know. She may or may not. I don't know. She might listen to it because it's my <laughs> episode or if, if not, you know, that's fine. Sure. So you ended up in 164 by volunteering to be there. By volunteering to be there. Yeah. It was uh, an interesting arrival because yeah. we went on Christmas leave halfway through December, right? Mm -hmm. So that's two weeks just gone. At the end, like, I'm already anxious to get over to the new unit. Like, I want to figure out, I want to meet people. I want to, I don't want to go into this not knowing anybody. Well, my wife is also nine months pregnant. So she has, uh, she has our first kid. 
on January 9th. So I came back for a week to 1-9 to, to out-process 1-9, and then I immediately went back on 12 days of, of leave because my wife just had our, uh, had our first son. Mm-hmm. So that's from the 9th of January, and I came back. I came back early because I was like, I don't like this. I'm going to get put in a really shitty platoon or something that I don't want to be a part of. I'm going to get put in a tanker platoon. So I came back a few days early. I think I took like maybe eight, ten days off. And I came back, I don't know, a few days early. Right after that, we went to NTC. So you went to NTC twice or you didn't have to go the first time? No, so we pulled our bags off right before Christmas leave. So they said, who wants to go? All right, go down and get your bags out. Cool. So we went down on Octaconics and pulled all our bags out. And now, how did you end up specifically working for First Platoon? First platoon. Because uh, that was a stroke of luck and a blessing <laughs> personally to so, work for Sergeant Ott and not uh, some. Of oh their man, options. I'm I'm very happy I got stuck where I was. I wasn't sure at first because I didn't know anybody, um, and I bounced. I actually was with Second Platoon first. Oh really? Oh no. Yeah, I was with Second Platoon for N- for NTC. No, we got there, and right before we went out into the box, they moved me over to. They're like, "Hey, you're going to you're going to first platoon." Nice. And I I didn't know anybody, but you know, as a brand new private, you try to make the best like judgments on people, but it's really you can't until you know mm-hmm. them. Because I was trying to remember whenever I was like, I was trying to remember when did you register to me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, did we get to Afghanistan before I was like? This guy's part of our platoon? You know, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember. <laughs> there yeah, there's a lot of people that I didn't even know existed in, until we were in Afghanistan and yeah, and talked to them. Yeah. <laughs> but so I yeah, so like I spent, you know, you're finally trying to get to know people in uh in second and they're like, "Hey, you're going to first." I'm like, "All right. That sucks. I don't know anybody over there and I'm halfway through NTC." Mm. So I went went over to first platoon and it it seems you some of the uh, other veterans that have been in a little bit longer, um, it, it seems that there's not an appreciation for FOs in a mechanized unit yeah. so much as there is in a light infantry unit. That that mm. may just be my perception, but it, it, it seemed I was met with no love uh, from a few people that they, they just didn't like me, just mm. purely based on the fact that I was an FO. <laughs> so that was, that made it even better. Little did they know that you would go on to Afghanistan and, Solidify yourself as a all-around badass <laughs> whose love and respect was endless in first platoon. Oh, I'm glad so, to hear that. Yeah, man. Oh. So you came to us halfway through NTC, deployed with us. Um, I think one of the things that we need to give you your credit on, as well as to our medics as well, like Salvador, as well as Sarnot and Lieutenant Persons, is the rest of the squads, you know, we would rotate out. So every other patrol second squad, third squad, second squad, third squad. But you got the luxury and the pleasure of going out in every single patrol. <laughs> yeah, that was Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. So even though um even though you went home a little early, you probably saw more combat than anybody else in the platoon in the time you were there just because you were not on every single patrol that our platoon went on. Yeah, that it's possible. Um I did go home a couple months early, so yeah, you know, what, three three months early, three and a half months early, something like that. Oh, uh, it was what July? Yeah, three, so August, 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 August fifteenth. Five months early, yeah. You make it halfway. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> uh, one thing we wanted to kind of go over is, 
Uh, and you kind of briefly mentioned the uh, the difference between you know Fister and an RTO, um, which you know honestly most of the times, like even like special operations units, their JTAC is essentially serving as an RTO. He's making a lot of the radio calls, but that's not what a an a Fister is. A forward observer is not just a radio bitch. Please explain to us what your job is supposed to be and what you ended up doing. Yeah, I was definitely the radio bitch. Um, so, you know, an FO is kind of supposed to be with the LT, the same as an RTO, but he's supposed to kind of essentially be on a fires net or, um, you know, there for communication with the assets that we have available. So if you have mortars or you had artillery, he would be on that, uh, that fires net in communication with them. And then you'd have an RTO there to maintain communications with uh, the talk and the company headquarters. And so, I mean, we were we were so undermanned. I mean, we had what a fraction of the size of our what our company should have been for what we were doing, mm-hmm. especially in that you know, that area. So, I mean, I kind of got rolled. Kind of, they kind of rolled the uh, the FO RTO role into one, and that's kind of where I, I I fell in there. Uh, I. I being in a, a mechanized unit, that's like you guys talked about on a, a previous a previous episode. Is all of the money goes to mm-hmm. the vehicles, all of it. So I mean, we had old old weapons from who knows how the old they of are. Iraq. Yeah, yeah. Well, FO's equipment is is just as old, and we got these big like target designators, and they were just they were just paperweights, is what they were, and we used tried to use them a couple times. Because that was just a horrible experience. Ended up freezing our ass up on a up on a hill with a, a broken piece of equipment. <laughs> I remember that. I was up there yeah. with you. That was yeah, that was horrible. That was when that. We, we we first got there and we were like, we're gonna go on this patrol. We're gonna be super high speed. We're gonna set up an op up on top of this mountain down here. We're gonna catch some bastards trying to smuggle weapons in there. And we went out the front gate, and all the trucks that we took out the front gate just sunk right in the mud. And that was that. So we then we had, then we had to walk. Yeah, we marched all the way back <laughs> yeah. into the into the in the Spermagar, and we were soaked from the waist down already. And we were laughing and joking and like, ha ha ha! They're gonna call this mission. Captain Kitchen came out and he goes, "All right, guys, so uh, we're gonna go ahead and walk down there." <laughs> we're like, what? No. I can I can hear him say it. No, yeah. So he goes, you get like, the, yeah, you get the pace there. right on your impression. Yeah. So he he came down and he told us, "Hey, you guys are walking." So. So we loaded up our bags with all the extra stuff that we needed to make it down there, and we walked. And that was the first time I cuddled with another man for warmth. <laughs> and not the last. I don't know how I got out of that, man, but I'm so glad I did. That you was like to dig the trucks out. Probably. No, because it, right? uh, it was me and Straka, and that ended up get, we're the only ones that got woken up to go to join you guys. Because you, your, your, uh, it was second squad's mission. We were off. Like we had like a legit off day, off yeah. day. Like we were at the end of our Q. We had finished our QRF shift, so we were like the. Our next day was gonna be a mounted day to drive trucks. Mm-hmm. So we were not on at all, and got woken up at like eleven o'clock at night. Said <laughs> go, to go, go grab yeah. your stuff. <clears throat> you guys go ready meet for up a with walk? Sergeant Nintz, and you're going for a walk. Yeah, that, was a, that was a good one. <laughs> oh man, yeah, I was not envious of that, but that was so early on. I mean, that had to be. That was like, yeah, that was one of April. our first. Yeah, it was before, before we took contact, contact yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
And it so, was far too. Like that. Oh my that's gosh, that was movement. one of the longest and you had climb we'd ever done. Like that was one of the things about yeah. it. We didn't climb mountains, but that's like the one time the whole deployment you climbed a mountain. We climbed yeah. a mountain, and then when we got to the top, you know, in the in the in the dark with the crappy PVS 14s, which mm-hmm. I have now learned, um, you know, you could, garbage. I could have I could have bought my own pair of PVS 14s. It would have been better than the ones I was yeah, issued. Yeah, those things were not great for walking in uneven terrain. No, yeah. so we climb this mountain in this in the dark with these crappy night vision goggles. We get to the top. Everyone is smoked. Because we were basically climbing up cliffs the whole way. Mm-hmm. And then when daybreak comes, we climb down. There's a path like five feet from where we <laughs> walked up. Perfect go path. That we couldn't Uh-oh. see because our night vision goggles were that terrible. Yeah. Yeah, that was bad. Oh. That was, that's one of those those missions where you can't help but laugh. Like during yeah. just yeah. like, this is Gotta just Gotta laugh, so keep stupid. from crying kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, Nobody got I, hurt. Nance was down there too. He was leading the squad leader and we were just, you know, you're sitting there and they're trying to figure out what they're kind of do. We're down at the base of the mountain and you're just like, this is just a mess. Like, what are we doing? This is a mess. Well, then his, his, uh, Peltors, his, the batteries died in there mm. and can't always tell when they die. So he's whispering to the LT and his voice is just echoing across the valley. And I don't think he had realized <laughs> That the batteries were dead. You will He's trying to whisper. It's, it's just. I'm like, oh no, man. Did you guys but, yeah, see was, anything on that mission, or was it just not nothing? A, so not we a so thing. we got up to the top. Uh, Corporal Young, uh, he went up with me, right? So he he was. We were the two FO team that we were down there, and we, and we brought this big old designator. In like it was horrible. Um, mm-hmm. So we set this targeting system up. This is probably like 30 years old piece of equipment. We set it up, we fire it up, and it just doesn't work like at all. <laughs> I was like, oh, hey man, why didn't you do your PCCs and PCIs? Oh, jeez. Sorry, well, Mally wouldn't let you get away with that. You know, he'd been out there making you test it on the HLZ. <laughs> <laughs> well, it it worked up until that point. Like it would turn on, oh, and it would shit. you could kind of get the thermal working, but anytime that's, you like that's an inside in or... joke for the platoon. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, random <laughs> listeners, they don't get that joke. We'll, we'll uh, cut it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of cut, obscure. Cut it. But yeah. Um, <laughs> so that was an early experience for you, you know. But you know, your first contact was probably our, our first firefighter's platoon, I would think, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Was that first one out by the? Was that the two six grid line or the two eight grid line? Two eight grid line. Yeah. Where I yeah. went swimming. Yeah. yeah. Did you get to? Did you get to practice any of your RTO and or FO skills on that mission, or do you just remember? Just so you, you always you always kind of question yourself. Um, What's going to happen in the first firefight? Mm-hmm. And uh, so up until this point, I'm you know, everybody's like, I want to get in a firefight. But then you're also like, man, I hope I'm really good in a firefight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, up, we're on this patrol and like up until this point, they've they've just beat into you. ROE, the ROE, PID, mm. PID, PID, PID. Mm. So in that firefight, that, you know, that big open, just it's not field, but it's just a big old dust courtyard or whatever yeah. that we were mm-hmm. i was standing in the middle of that and we were sitting there and then they that one shot behind us rang out when and that all happened back back there yep. and then all hell let loose and i you know i dropped on my belly and well i don't see anybody so i'm not gonna shoot at anything so i'm sitting there <laughs> and that's when bowie looked at me and he goes fire your fucking weapon over there that's where we're getting shot from i'm like oh that's how it's done all right and i just you know hammered down where they were where, where i could hear it coming from yeah, so yeah. and then i was P- laying there and then that's when lieutenant persons he called me he goes 
telling me to get over there and i'm just like man it's my first firefight and he's just calling me over there so we can talk on my radio yeah oh, this is bullshit i just want to be in a firefight and you know be cool like everybody else and i got over there and he goes no man they were shooting those rounds were kicking up all around you i was just trying to get you out of there and i was like oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> so you got you so they were shooting at you like yep. yeah that lovely antenna that waves 10 feet above my head that's Thanks what I was gonna. You. I was gonna ask you about how many times did you get shot at just because you were waving your, uh, yeah, your position around the towel down with your twelve foot antenna. I hated that antenna. thing. I'm sure everybody else hated it too because I, I, I'm pretty sure I clobber whopped everybody at least once. Oh yeah. I think the best one. I, I got a picture of us sitting along a wall, and I think there's like five people to my left. And like right after the picture is taken, they called me up and they said, "Hey, come, come down. Your LT needs you." And I stood up, and I hit every single person. That was down there in the head. It just came back and came down, smack, and smack, smack, just smack, smacked smack. them all in the head. And they were like, "What the fuck, boys?" Really yeah. So not only did you have to go on every patrol, but you had a literally a flag waving above your position, so you were behind the wall. Taliban yeah. like, "Yeah, oh, well, there's one of them at least uh, right there." We drop in the grape rose. I'm like, "Wonder where they're at?" Oh, just look for that waving. It's so in the air. it's so comical to just see this thing sticking up. Yeah, you you just, can't see the person. Yeah, it's like it's like a shark around. fin just going down yeah. the freaking grape rose. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just sways back and forth, and which yeah. you know at the end yeah. of that five eight hour patrol from it, it it pulls on you back and forth like this and oh man it's oh, the worst yeah. that's another thing you didn't like, keep it have... fully extended all the time though did you, you, you... i did did you, did you? i did for whatever for whatever reason outside of a click outside of the, we started losing we started losing comms it was kind of spotty so it was kind of like uh i guess i gotta extend my whip yeah so, <laughs> so yeah that was that's awesome so the cotton trees all the time and yeah <laughs> yeah so unbeknownst That's to you on this first firefight you were actually getting shot at and then yeah. uh obviously things just ramped up from there but was there a moment in the deployment especially in those first couple three months where it really sunk in that like shit was real and it was about to get thick you know i was i was very naive and i was i was stupid mm. um the reason I joined the army is because I was all about the army, all about the military. It was, it was kind of a little romanticized. I grew up on war movies. I played outside playing war, and That's what I wanted did. to go to war, you know. Yeah. And then now I'm in, I'm in the real deal, and nothing had never occurred to me at all that we would ever hit an IED. They hadn't, and you, you know, um, that is, it's weird. It's kind of stupid. I'm, but you know, I was a kid, and you just think we're you know we're invincible, and uh, that clearly is not the case. And uh, so, leading all the firefights up to there, it still hadn't really occurred to me. It was just part of the fun. Um, we found plenty of IEDs, and it had never uh, never occurred to me that we would hit one of them until until we, with the engineers, and that's when it you know just punches you right in the face and says. It's all downhill from here, buddy. Yeah, you're yeah. vulnerable. Yeah, that was a that was a rough one for a lot of people. That I think that's kind of a, a reoccurring theme I've noticed with a lot of your episodes. It's that's when that's when everybody realized we're in for the ride of our lives. Yeah. It's not going to be a good one. Well, I think it's difficult for people to to like wrap their mind around the concept of IEDs. Mm-hmm. Um, even even like the driving ones, like you don't drive down the road expecting to get blown up. You certainly don't walk around with this ever present thought in your mind, like oh my god, I could I could blow up at any moment. 
Mm. Yeah. So you always just like, okay, that was a problem that somebody else had at some other time and it doesn't apply to me. Um, I know even, even clearing, I never really thought I'd find one. You know, I thought I was just going through the motions kind of thing. Yeah. So that, that whole day, like we found IEDs left and right and that was just, <sighs> mm-hmm. it was an annoyance. Yeah. Like it was annoying, but leading up to that, um, I'm surprised, I'm surprised we had, we, we got so lucky. Yeah, I mean, that, that same day, the, the squad leader for the, those th- the three engineers that were out there, he was messing, he was probing, not messing with it, but he was probing an ID and then it started ringing. Like it was attached to a phone and it started ringing and he took off running down towards us and he's put his hands on his knees and he was breathing hard. And we're like, what happened? He goes, man, it started ringing. <laughs> oh goes, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking What are you talking Holy about? Shit. And, then, and then down, uh, uh, you guys remember, uh, Lane, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's another FO and, and he was in the talk and then took over for third platoon. And, uh, we were, we were on that same day we were having lunch. We were eating our, eating our MRE on a quick stop while, uh, the ANA were probing another IED down, down the road from us. I don't know, man, they must put 20 pounds of C4 on that thing because they blew that thing up and that knocked us on our ass and we were sitting down already and like it, it knocked us over. It was just like, what are you guys doing? Just a little bit. You got to save that. We need that later. You know, <laughs> they have so. their own explosives. Don't give them too much. <laughs> But yeah, that was that was a big explosion on on that one, and that the whole day was uh, just just IEDs left and right, and that's when we, you know, it kind of turned around for all of us. Like, oh shit, this is real. Yeah, I mean, and that was you know, you're right. We've talked about it a few times. So we won't beat a dead horse to death, but um, you know that that time frame of the deployment was kind of awakening for a lot of people because we had had Lux just a few days before that. Um, and just two weeks before that was, um, uh, Brazos. So like in a very short period of time, um, we kind of realized, okay, not only can we get shot, we can get blown up too. Like we are not immune to the dangers here. And, um, cause even before that sketch mission, we hadn't, we had seen some IEDs, but like, we like, okay, well that's there and EOD messed with it. And we did the whole, like call EOD, wait four hours kind of thing, because it was so rare to find them. But once that sketch of clearing mission happened, we're like, we are our own EOD. Like, it's us. Um, we can't call them for every single one of them. Yeah. So, I, and it got, honestly, it got to the point where we go around them. Yeah. We know they're there. Yeah. Go around them. We're not going to get them all. It's, we're, just, we're just wasting time. we got a mission. Go around them. Call it up and, and bypass. It, yeah. And it's always worse. Like it was terrible because, you know, you stand on a road and you look down to your left and there's a rock formation and you're like, well, I wonder what side, I wonder what side I'm on. And then you look to the left and then, oh shit, there's another rock formation. We're in, in, in in in. let's get out of here. I don't like this. And for our listeners, I think we've kind of mentioned that before, but I'm glad you brought it up, Eric. Um, These rock formations were, you could theoretically be on either side of them, but they were put there by the Taliban to warn the locals where not to go. It's basically, if you go beyond this point, there's an IED somewhere. They're not necessarily marked the exact location of the IED. So you would look at that line of rocks and be like, okay, which side of them am I on? And then if you see that there's an intersection on the other side of the line of rocks, you can probably deduce that that's where the IED is. But if you find yourself between two... (laughs) Don't uh, move. (laughs) Don't move. Turn around, walk back in your footsteps, and exact go footsteps. back yeah. over the wall. 
because you have no idea. Um, and you know, they're not just all pressure plates too. You know, like they can be in the walls, they can be in the trees. We, you know, we've seen in, in a boot, such in a, a tree. Yeah. That one almost got my antenna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flying antennas and IED, IEDs in the trees don't, don't, don't no, let your no. antenna go yeah. through the trees. No. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, not even, that's not even theorized. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ugh. That's not even worth entertaining what, ha- what would no. have happened, you know? No. Well, I think uh, it's actually a good chance for us to break down our, like, kind of evolving SOP for IEDs because, as we've discussed, engineers was obviously the big, like, they're there. They're real. I mean, we had had experience, but we hadn't had that direct experience as a platoon. Right. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, like, as we evolved, we just spotted, you know, as soon as so you spot a suspected ID, you'd send up the grid coordinates, and that was it. But we all, but we were walking a lot in formation, which we've already talked about how much they limit our movements. But we'd also have a, um, like, you see road crews, the people out, if there are people out measuring or what's the word I'm looking for, surveying, They'll have a little stick with a with a uh, spray paint on the bottom of it, and we got to where we would just reach down with that spray paint and spray a little half moon around the suspected ID. I would usually put a little arrow on the rare occasion I did do this job. I'd put a little arrow sticking out so that you knew which side to step on. Yeah. Um, and so as we evolved into the deployment, like we saw them, we just spray paint them and do it. And another thing we did is on a, occasionally as we were clearing we would spray paint two little lines. So every yes. day, 10, 15 meters, you'd spray paint two lines on your left and your right so that people knew the stay general path yeah. to stay between the lines on. So, yeah. and then... Well, that's a good point. You know, the first couple IEDs we found, we called EOD for. Mm-hmm. And then we went into the phase that you're talking about where we're like, okay, we're going to spray paint bypass. And then we we got the comp... Either we developed the confidence with our command and with the other forces in the area that they allowed us to build our own line charges. Yeah. And a line charge yeah. is essentially you take little balls of C4, wrap them, duct tape them to a, a line of deck cord. And the idea is you throw that charge across a path, blow it, and it clears a path. Um, and a lot of our listeners from earlier deployments to the area will know with, about the APOBs or the, uh, the Miklik. The APOBs is like a backpack system that does the same thing. It just uses a rocket to launch it a really long way. It's a really long line charge. And it's super heavy. It's super heavy. It's like a two backpack system. And it's then the Miklik is the same thing, but it's towed behind a truck. It's yeah. a huge system. So we just condensed that thing. We got the training on how to build our own. And when we would come across something that we thought was an IED and we had to go that way, we'd throw the line charge and, and blow it. Um, or if and you that, pop a wall, like Boyce was talking about, and you find you look to the right and you see your on um, one side of the rocks, and you look to yeah. the left and you see the rocks, then you would get back across the wall, throw a yep. line charge across the road, blow it, and then cross right there and up and over the next wall into the next yeah. compound or whatever. And that's a that's a tactic that I, I once we adopted that, I think that stuck with us pretty much to the end. It did. That, yeah. that blowing those uh, those line charges, man, that ring your bell. Oh yeah, I yeah, remember using yeah. those things. It's just you know using that after you you're dehydrated and you got a headache and you're like, well, let's throw one of these line charges. Yeah, man, it's rocky noodle. Yeah, it is, and it depends on who made them too. Some people made them a little chunkier than others. Yeah, everybody, like, everybody, everybody wants to get rid of ammunition or or ordnance or whatever just so they make yeah. their bag a little bit lighter. So yeah. I'm gonna use an extra stick get here and pack this a little charge. Bit yeah. <laughs> I remember who it was, but somebody would like basically like cut a, a block of C4 in half. 
yeah. and like each half would be like one piece of the line charge. Like a yeah, line I charge would be like twelve pounds of C four. Mm. It's like nice. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> I thought we agreed uh, on fourths. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then you know the very last, well, not the very last, but you know we talked about throat chop a bunch. Probably in the second day of throat chop, we probably had twelve to fifteen line charges go off. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have a TBI, it's not from any of the bombs <laughs> I drove over. It's from line the line charges. charges that we 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 set off. Um, so yeah, I mean, as Luke mentioned, you know that our tactics in terms of dealing with them evolved rapidly. And when we talked to uh, Russ Ho, who was the EOD team leader, he'll tell us how nervous it made him that we were making our own line charges <laughs> and using them. <laughs> he was he was certain that we were going to get ourselves killed. Oh, oh, man. Yeah. That seems kind of like a, a common theme is we, we'd get a new weapon system of some type and we'd be like, here, let's do, uh, let's go figure out how to use this real quick and then we'll uh, and use we'll... it on these patrols here. Hey, Gustav, yeah. anybody ever shot this? No? Well, no. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> let's go ahead and don't angle that too high. <laughs> oh, Pakistan. Hey, anybody use a 60 millimeter mortar? No? All right, cool. Here, carry this. You carry a couple extra rounds. Um, mm-hmm. Don't hurt yourself. Yeah, and that's that's one I'm glad we abandoned quickly. Yeah. I feel like we didn't we we didn't carry the sixty hardly at all. I think like the only time it was ever really used was in the horn. We, yeah. you, I remember you carrying it, you guys carrying it once, and that's what that mission that we split off and got in that big ambush up there. Uh, yes, Kohler's, Kohler's first mission. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. we dropped you guys back there with the mortar, and we went up front. And then I remember, I can remember Phil carrying it around a little bit. Him and Nagurn. Mm-hmm. And it got around. carried one more time after that when Sergeant just, Lloyd yeah. came to us, which was after you you left us. But Sergeant Lloyd was an 11 Charlie. And which he makes like, sense. Right? Yeah, he's like, I can't believe you guys aren't taking the mortar. Like, bro, you don't understand. Like, you're never going to get to shoot it. He's like, no, I'm real fast. With I'm totally going to get to shoot it. It's like, bro, <laughs> if you want to carry that thing, you know, you're a, you're a strapping young lad. You go yeah. for it. He was he a took it. He took it on one mission. He's like, yeah, that's stupid. I'm never going to use it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we stopped using it because, well, for one, nobody really knew how to use it. And then two, he's like, with the birds would be on station so fast for us a lot of the times that. By the time you got that mortar in place, started lobbing rounds, the birds were probably there or on their way, and it wasn't really safe to send that explosive uh, ball of hate up into the air in an arc. Yeah. Be a good way to take out a Kiowa. That'd be fun. We would be very upset. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'd imagine. I'd imagine take a Kiowa out. No, you're, we're not helping you guys no more. Yeah. Fine. Use your mortar. <laughs> <laughs> so as an RTO, or even as an RTO slash FO. Um, but you did, you get to talk to the birds quite a bit, man. So you actually got, like, you got some valuable experience as, uh, you know, on the ground in terms of doing your job, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. We, we actually leading up to, I mean, before I even went to 164, they have at, uh, Fort Stewart, they have, or any military post, they have a guard fist and you might've even gone there. That's where it's a call for fire trainer. Yeah. I've done that. It's kind of like the EST, but for, for artillery mortars and close air support and all that kind of stuff and we were over there like every single day and we would do what we needed to get done for the day and we would go there and then we would spend spend the day there yeah. just training 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 and then i that really helped uh going over i think to... it's good training like for as simple of a system as it is just to get the repetitions in and yeah to be able yeah. to shift fire and stuff like that it's really yeah cool. definitely and just learn uh, how to how to talk Cause that's a huge thing is like, yeah. have you ever seen mm-hmm. somebody pick up a radio that they've never like a military radio 
And then you got to sit there and try and think of all the, all the radio lingo that they want you to use. Mm-hmm. And then you just, just fumble all over it because you don't know what to say or how to say it in military terms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like the funny thing about that is if you're talking back to like a gun line, they're super picky. If you say one thing wrong, they're like, never nope. ever say repeat. They never say repeat. Like bust your balls for that one. Better get you better get your call for fire in order, all three sections immaculate. But if you're talking to pilots, man, we we do not care. Yeah. <laughs> the red smoke, 150 meters to the north. That was the awesome yeah. thing about that experience is because training and they do they give you a sheet of paper and they say, all right, when you talk to them, you say it in this order, mm-hmm. and you you tell them what you want, your location, and they, and they go through how you tell it and how you're supposed to do it. And then the Kiowa show up and they're like, yo, what's up, bro? We can be here for 30 minutes. You know, we got uh, we got some rockets. Some We got eyes on you. Where's the enemy? Oh, cool, are. Roger. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, we, we got eyes on Hey, yeah. we're going to be It's, uh, we're it's just bound. like talking to one of your bros on the phone or something. Like that. Yeah. Those guys were, you know, working with those guys was awesome. Just when We did that in. on purpose. Like, you know, no yeah. one wants to talk to a robot, man. Yeah. yeah. I, it definitely, it, it calms you down when somebody comes yeah. in there because you're not trying to think about how do I say this to them? How do I communicate with them? Because mm. the uh, Air Force came in to drop us supplies, and they they came in and they started just spouting all this stuff off with like they're going to drop supplies. But I'm like, well, I don't know how to talk. Men to Vangor or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. and he's like, all right, we're coming calculus. in from the southeast. What are the surface lengths? And I'm like, LT, what are what are surface lengths? And he looks at me and he goes, I I don't know. So I was like, all right, I'll just you know I'll just BS my way through this one. So I, I kind of talked to him like, didn't really know. And you could hear in his voice, like, you don't know what I'm talking about, do you? And he's, he, we're just going back and forth and get back and forth. And then finally, someone's like, yeah, surface lines. That's the, that's the wind, wind direction and speed on, like, where you're at on the LZ. And I'm like, oh. So, like, wait, yeah, there's no surface lines. And he goes, yeah, we're not dropping. We're going home. Because <laughs> he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't trust what I was saying or, or I even knew what I was talking about, which I, I didn't up until that point. Yeah. Well, it's just like, I mean... If you're just on the ground humping it out, it's like just just drop it on the blue smoke. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like like a, I need whatever ordnance water bottle, whatever the hell it is. Just drop it on the blue smoke. Don't drop it on the white smoke. Drop it on the blue. Thank yeah, you. The Air, the, Air, the Air Force has to have their hands held through the whole process. Like <laughs> calling in an Apache or a Kiowa is super simple. You need like two pieces of information. Where am I? Where's the enemy? And like we can work for you. Yeah. But the Air Force, like, you need a distance, you need a direction, you need what angle is the attack going to come from, like, what type of control, can you see the airplane, can you see the target, like, yeah. it is a very involved process, and they, and an Air Force pilot will not drop if he doesn't feel confident in what you're saying to him, in which mm. I did I did not imbue any confidence in what I was saying, so he, <laughs> so he was like, you know, we're going to come back tomorrow morning, you know, we'll see, try this again tomorrow. You know, the next morning I'm like, yeah, surface lengths are uh, north to north to south, one knot. Yeah, I just completely made just, it up. I just didn't, make there was no wind, up. <laughs> but I just wanted to, you know, sound extra confident so he would give us our, our water and our. Uh, right. our did food. you? Um, so how do you tested that? You stick your finger in your mouth, got it wet, and stuck it up in the air. And, yeah. you know, you're feeling the direction of the wind, right? And you'll yeah, see the sun come up, and you're like, yeah, that's probably northwest. <laughs> yep. It's funny. Funny where we were at. It was very, very easy to distinguish north, south, east, mm-hmm. west. Yeah, very yeah, easy. Yeah, run, that was runs on a perfect east-west helpful. axis. Yeah, or at yeah. least the horn does. So, like you know, the river, the riverbed's in the south. There's a river up mm-hmm. north. You know, you can see Mount Ma- uh, Mossamgar. Yeah, you can see that. Mm-hmm. So that's up up there. So yeah, it was pretty easy. It pretty easy to distinguish uh, 
even the grape so rows helpful. ran east and west for the most yeah. part. Mm-hmm. You know, which I have, I would imagine has to do with the sun. Gro- you know, growing, I never really thought about that, but that's a really uh, good observation. I've thought about it before because I thought the majority yeah. of them run east to west, and it's got to be for the exposure to the sun throughout the majority of the day. Kind of makes sense. We need, sit, we need to get an Afghan uh, grape farmer on here. <laughs> <laughs> They're raisin farmers. I learned that. I was very sad to l- learn that you cannot get Afghan wine. Yeah, so I guess right, yeah, in that's... hindsight, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> so that'd be um, kind of against the rules, wouldn't it? Wine, right? Yeah, they don't drink alcohol, so yeah. they make wine. <laughs> sure. So we're kind of frog marching through the deployment, um, getting in a lot of contact. Stuff's ramping up, and then we come upon this infamous day that we've kind of talked about in detail here with a few people, which came to be known as Minotaur Down. Minotaur Down. So I think if people who have listened to the podcast consistently have heard the boy's story by now. But people who haven't listened to it as consistently, we should still get it from uh, from the horse's mouth, if you will. <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a, know, a fun one. So I think what we'll do is like let's just kind of get your part of that day, talk about the day itself, and then tell us about your your event and uh, how that um, worked out for you. Man, you know, yeah, the milkshake, right? Um, so let's start with that. <laughs> I wanted my milkshake is what I wanted. Right. So we we made that one trip back to calf, right? And then mm-hmm. TGI Fridays, we all we all got on there. We all got milkshakes or something. I got a milkshake, and it was probably the worst milkshake you'll ever have. Yeah, but after being out in Panjway, it was it's the most amazing still, yeah. thing that I'd ever had. You know. Mm-hmm. So we go back out there, and, I'm, and we're finally like, all right, hey, this is the last time, probably maybe a couple other times later on, but it's gonna be a while before we go back to calf. We're going to calf tomorrow. I'm like, oh, I'm I'm getting a milkshake. It's gonna be, it's gonna be the thing, right? So that was right. kind of like my motivation for getting back that milkshake. Um, so leading up to that day, you know, that was kind of a heavy. That was a start to a really heavy time for, for our platoon. Mm-hmm. Like we started losing people, started going down. <laughs> After that week, it's three weeks straight. We were losing people fairly consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'd mentioned earlier going out on, on every patrol and there was a lot of mental attrition starting to kind of come to a head at this point in the deployment. Mm-hmm. And I, it was hitting me pretty hard. Like I wasn't sleeping at night. I had some pretty bad anxiety and I, and I went up to my LT and I said, Hey, I need it. Can I, I just need a day off. Can, can you give me a day? Cause I was going out on every other, every patrol mm-hmm. that, uh, that our platoon went on. If we were on patrol, it was QRF or, or whatever. So, so he's like, all right, I'll get you a day. So he got me a day off and uh, our platoon went out and they gave the radio to Piper and uh, they went out and they just got scuffed up. They just had a, a hell of a fight all day. They were yeah. just going through it. And I was like, ah, that's not cool. I'm all right. I got to go back. And at, for whatever reason, after that, I was, I was at peace. Like I was, that was it. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not doing this again. Mm. So I, it's all the, I'm ready. I'm not, I can't sit on the sides. That's, that's worse than not being able to sleep at night, you know? Sure. Um, so I told, I even told Doc, I was like, you know what? I think I'm good. You know, I'm going to be good. So then we, we picked up a couple extra patrols that like we went on two patrols back to back the one day before we picked up and then we were doing this one and it was just supposed to be a quick, Hey, go test this Bobcat out in the middle of these grape rows and all this stuff. And it's got a mine roller on it. That's a great idea. Let's take it to Sketcha. Let's take it to the hardest to yeah, get to village. Like, mm-hmm. 
probably not our, our best shining moment in mission selection there. But so we we took it out there and it was supposed to be a quick stupid thing to say, <laughs> a quick mission out there. Yeah. Test this Back thing out, ten. see if it's see if it's worth keeping around and using. You know, whatever. So we 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 got up there and we parked at Mossamgar and we started our kind of started our trek in there. And then I don't know about what maybe 30, 30 minutes in or so we took first contact and they just started just shooting up the road at us. So this is not a road. It's a pathway with a, you know, wadi going through it and another little pathway and walls on both sides. So it's pretty narrow. There's zero cover, like maybe a tree that you can, a skinny tree you can kind of hide around, but so there's nothing to hide, man. Like after saying that to saying that to doc, man, I've never been more scared in my life standing in that, that, that tunnel there just, yeah, taking rounds over the head. Yeah, literally in a fatal funnel. I mean, that's like day one of basic training. Yeah. Is don't get in fatal funnels. Which yeah, for for people who don't know the, the jargon, it's it speaks for itself, right? It's a hole that you can dump bullets into and, and you know mess people up. Yeah. And it was I mean, literally think, think a of fatal like a doorway or a hallway. Doorway, hallway. You get a large number of people into a very tight space. Yeah, you don't have to be very accurate. You're going to hit something if you just you just got to yeah, just got to keep pulling the trigger and traverse back and forth and you're going to drop anything coming that way. Well, that's what they kept doing. They kept, they kept, they kept just squeezing rounds down and then they, they'd bug out and they'd come back a little bit later. And man, I, I'll tell you what, that's probably the most scared I've ever been because I mean, you, you can't get down on a gray pro. You can't There's get behind a wall. Go. It's, you're just completely vulnerable. So mm-hmm. they did that once and then we got helicopters on station and they, or they did it at the, the second time they did it. They hit us again, and it was kind of like, all right, this is not cool. Like, like we need to get out of here. This is this is not good. This, this is going to end idea, very yeah. poorly. This was before the Minotaur went down to the creek, right? Yeah. So this that was our second contact right there, beginning to our quick short mission into Sketcha. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so then at that point, we got Kiowa's on station. We got I think an Apache. It was a pink team, so I think it was Kiowa mm-hmm. and a, an Apache or whatever. So I started talking to them, trying to talk them onto it. And then they're like, well, we can't see you. Um, so we need some smoke or something just so we can, because it was pretty heavy foliage over, over yeah, our heads. Very heavy. Yeah. yeah. So they said, put some smoke out there so we can try to try to get your position located. So we threw some smoke on us and then they start shooting at us again, shooting at the smoke, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, So. Sure. So that that pissing ins off pretty good. I remember him kicking the smoke cannon of the creek and he's like, that's, that's stupid. You're giving away our position. Uh, <laughs> which yeah i think they know we're here mm-hmm. but yeah it's not smart to smoke Mark out yourself. your position no. yeah like, hey shoot no. the smoke just go a little bit lower than the smoke you might hit something so then they're like all right well we see you guys and they're talking to us and, and at that point um the minotaur took a took a swan dive into <laughs> the wadi uh-huh. and it's just like everybody you can see everybody that's up there is just like no Fuck. no yeah. like this was supposed to be a quick one <laughs> <laughs> you know so uh yeah so it was not a quick one as it turns out so i and to try to paint the picture as to why everyone immediately knew that there like you mentioned this was a path that was made was barely wide enough for that bolt that bobcat mm-hmm. you're about i don't know what at least half a click maybe a full click down from hyena mm-hmm. um there's no road so there's no way you can get a vehicle back there to pull this thing out. It weighs probably 10,000 pounds. Yeah. 
Like yep. there's there's dense over overgrowth. It's like there's no way you're just gonna get a helicopter in there and come pick it up, even though they talked about trying to do that. Um, <laughs> be a good way to get a helicopter shot down too. But there's just there's just no way this thing weighs ten thousand pounds. It's in a creek. Yeah, a big and creek. It's brand new. Yeah, like and when you watched that thing go in, like the only thought on everybody's mind was, God, we're like, here for a while. The stupidity Stuck. of the army was about yeah. to come down on everybody. Everybody knew it. Mm-hmm. Stuck. Stuck. And if you ask anybody on that patrol, they would have been like, "This is stupid." Why are yeah. we doing this? We all knew yeah. it was dumb. We, we we talked about that ad nauseum. So <laughs> yeah. we knew we knew the the concept of that patrol was dumb. Uh, but, but I get if you want to test it out, why not test it somewhere I'm else? I'm a Luke, man. Go outside yeah. the game. Yeah. Like yeah. Instead of let's instead of tipping our dipping our toes in the water a little bit, we swan dived in there, just cannonballed it, and mm-hmm. yeah, it made a mess. So I mean, there was a road that went out the east side of Sperwangar that went straight all the way over to like Salamcon. That wasn't next to any rivers or anything, but we couldn't walk on that road because obviously it was full of IEDs. It would have been a perfect one to go down. Yeah, we could have blown it up in the first 50 meters and got a record yeah, in there just to pull drag it, out. it back. <laughs> yeah. It would have been fine. Could have proved the point same, and yeah. you would have got your milkshake, so I'm sorry. Yeah. I've, I've gotten plenty of milkshakes since. That's kind of an annual <laughs> tradition now. So. Yeah. Nice. Very nice. Uh, so uh, Minotaur goes into the creek, then what? So that's when I, I started talking to the Kiowa that was on station, you know, I was letting him know what was going on. And then saw a sudden somebody came around the corner at the end of the road and they popped out and they jumped back around the wall. So at that mm. point I called them up and I said, Hey, the end of the road from us, just, you know, not too far down the road. There's somebody, you know, about to poke back out maybe or whatever. I was made conversation with him and he poked back out and, uh, he squeezed off a quick burst. At that point, you know, tagged me in the lower abdomen, just above my pecker. Mm. Luckily, not any lower, or else, yeah. you know, that wouldn't That'd be cool. Been bad, yeah. Um, when I when I got hit, I you know obviously I dropped the mic, and that's probably when you kind of got the impression that oh, I think Boyce just got tagged because I, I you know I didn't come back on the radio after that. Well, we were up in the trucks. Uh, our squad was in the trucks that day. And, uh, of course, as soon as you guys started taking contact, like me and Bally, Bally was my, my TC and I was gunning, driving and I was driving. Yeah. And I just remember us trying to spin, we were spinning our wheels. Like, how can we get to second platoon? There's a lot of other things that went on that day where basically you guys got left out the dry by, uh, by the Afghans and by one of our other platoons. Thanks guys. (laughs) (laughs) And so we were really spinning our wheels, man. But I just remember hearing that on the radio. And it was like you were mid-sentence, and it just snapped. It was done. It was over. I heard the, the gunfire over the radio, and I just had this, like, pit filling in my stomach. It was like, shit, like, boys is hit. Like, I just knew it. Yeah. You know, this is like an intuitive thing. You I had that know. same feeling in my stomach, too. Yeah. I'd been it was a little bit lower. <laughs> yeah, a little bit lower. A little bit, a little lower. bit lower, yeah. I had yeah. the same feeling. <laughs> a little more intense, a little more, uh, a little more burning feeling. But I mean, what, what did you feel when it happened? Like, yeah. did, oh, did, man, was it like was like a pinch or was it like hot searing pain or? So, you know, you I had know. Those, that diaper on. Mm-hmm. Yep. So I think that kind of, I don't know, maybe I'm full of shit, but it felt like it um, kind of spread the impact out, absorbed a lot of that kinetic energy coming in. Sure. But, just like somebody took a baseball bat and just swung as hard as they could mm. and just tagged me right above my, mm. you know, yeah. my dick. Yeah. So 
so that hit me and then it was like a pretty intense searing burning pain and at that point i was in the middle of the road you know they take yep. you stop for more than 30 seconds or 15 seconds or whatever hey pop a squat if you're there any longer lay down take the prone mm-hmm. but i was the literally the only one in that entire line I was like well, well pop a squat so i popped a squat and that's when i got hit and then the only thing that was just going through my mind was like get this is it i want cover i want to get lower i want to get yeah. i want to get out of this road and Right next to this this tree was kind of off to my left behind me, and it kind of gave a dip. No real cover, anything, but I kind of rolled to the left just to try to get into that, and then all that weight in my in my bag kind of flopped over to the side, and then we went for a ride down <laughs> into, into that water. Pulled you into the creek. Oh, so I pulled thought you into jumped creek. into the creek. I didn't realize you had gotten like, pulled into the creek by your gear. No, I, I, it was not my intent to dive into the yeah. water. Yeah. Um, it was just I wanted to get lower, and I'd kind of already fallen that way, and it it felt lower to the left, right? Yeah. I mean, just took it away. Once I got rolling in that direction, it kind of flung flung my bag to the side, and then mm-hmm. and it pulled me in there. And you know, I'm squealing like a stuck pig, and Nince, you know, he dives in like immediately, dives in, and before I even hit the water, he had his hand on my bag, and it you know it pulled him in in with me, so we got to go swimming. Um, <laughs> yeah, in so a shit creek with an open wound. Yeah, which yeah, is great. Yeah, which is mm. great. So, so the yeah, round he, did go through the diaper. Yeah, it went went through the diaper, hit me dead center, uh, my pelvis. Which, <sighs> my gosh, it's that's 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 a one in a million. Like, yeah. it's not often yeah. that you're going to take a seven sixty round to the pelvis and survive. And, and survive is that's probably a the, strong argument to be made that the diaper saved your life, man. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think it slowed it down enough that because I that's mean, you would thinking. think a seven six two would just punch right through. And, yeah, you know, come clean out the other side, and but it, it didn't. It, it went in and it kind of ricocheted down off my pelvis, went mm. into my leg towards my femoral artery, and it, it didn't hit the femoral artery. But there's another kind of like a secondary vein in there or something like that. It mm. nicked that, and then also at the same time pinched it off, I guess. So it kind of slowed the the bleeding a little bit is what my understanding was of that mm. so i mean i got you know million dollar wound like there yeah I, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it man i was just yeah just fortunate just lucky just blessed i don't i don't know how to even i'm sure fortunate lucky and blessed were the words going through <laughs> your mind at the time. Yeah. <laughs> no i think it was shit 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 yeah, yeah. shit yeah. shit i'm hit i'm hit yeah. low and I, I couldn't imagine what it would be like to like get hit in that spot because if I got shot there, I think the first thing I would think about is like, I'm going to die. Because the first yeah. thing you think yeah. about when it comes to your pelvis and your waist is femoral <sighs> artery, yeah. you know. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened with the engineers with uh, with Pinnock, you know. It's like it was so high up. So I, I feel like if I if it was me, I would have been thinking I'm I'm done. So, yeah. I mean, were you thinking that, or were you just thinking like, get me out of here? You know, there's there's kind of I don't know, like a lot of things kind of go through your head, mm-hmm. and it's not like anything that you can I don't know dwell on it. Because it just goes sure. through so fast, it's kind of getting out. Like it was, yep. you know, leading up to that point, like I, like I have not felt that fear ever since. Just being on that road, being in that fatal funnel, getting shot, I've not, I've never felt that yeah. like since. Mm. And uh, then I finally, then I got hit, and then I was like, "Shit, this is it. I'm out." But then, I just lucky, lucky as shit, man. Mm. And the roll fell in the water. Uh, Sergeant Ott and Nance both jumped in. And pulled me out and started working on me. That's so really and that's a really the, hard 
injury to to treat like yeah like, you can't do anything it's insanely hard you can't put a tourniquet slap an on Israeli it bandage on it and hope for the best it, like, and it but, wasn't uh, bleeding much at all was it no it was all internal like it was filling yeah. it was filling my sack up with blood i think most of it was all was in, internal yeah we've heard so about your big just old balls my big old balls they're not that yeah. big they were just full of blood so <laughs> jesus man yeah so that I mean, what, what, what was what was Salvador saying to you while he was treating you? Was he like so, being Sa- comforting, Salvador, or was he being so? Salvador? That was Salvador's day off. Like oh, he had oh, swapped right. out with uh, Doc Hollers, and uh, yeah, so that was Hollers out there that day, and he did a fantastic job. Okay, patching that okay. up, and so I feel like I feel like Salvador just would have called you a pussy. And... Yeah, he would totally <laughs> stop your bitch and take it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I think uh, another layer of complexity to that day, on top of the amount of contact, which I think by the end of the day was like 18 firefights or something crazy, crazy. like that. Yeah, it was a lot. Um, like individual, I wouldn't say 18 fire. Yeah, I mean, yeah, 18 individual instances of taking contact, which I think was the record for the company. For the I'm so, the I'm plan, so probably. glad I got shot at the beginning of the day because that would just insult to injury is to get shot at the end of the day. That would have been worse. So I'm, I'm glad I got. If it had to happen, better to happen in the beginning of the day than like right at the end of the day. So we talked about, you know, Sketcha, so it's already nasty enough. The you know, the cover and stuff like that is really thick. You get shot in the pelvis. And uh one of the things that was kinda unique to your to your medevac is that we couldn't get birds in there because of all the things that were going on. So another yeah. layer of complexity to that day was half of the squad had to split off and carry you back to the trucks. Yeah. And put you in the trucks to take you to Sperwingar to medevac instead of um, landing a bird out there in the field. Which, when I look back on it now, and you talk about the nature of your in- injury, I consider it a miracle that something didn't happen on that movement. That would have like yeah. either shook loose, or something, shook yeah. loose the fragment that was pinning the you know the vein to your pelvis or whatever, and something didn't happen that fucked you up even worse. You know, that's. Like I said, million one in a million gunshot wound, man. Like you don't. Yeah. I can't imagine anybody else you get you, you could ever replicate that. Like you, like no. hey, let's go try and replicate this. But I don't think. Yeah, just a lucky son of a gun that day. Well, they so. put you in, in our truck because we had the MRAP that day. Yeah, they uh, yeah. they found they actually found a like a a stretcher in some yep. compound and they went back and they grabbed it. Mm-hmm. And they carried me back and you know I was pretty high on fentanyl at that point. Yep. So I remember, you know, my little lollipop there. Yeah, I remember they were loading me on the load me on your truck, and there was yeah. a bunch of kids out there laughing at me and pointing at my balls like, ah, he's got yeah. Balls. I remember <laughs> that. Now that you mention it, I forgot about that little asshole. I was like, screw you, little assholes. Yeah. <laughs> but, so yeah, we those kids we, are ruthless. Uh, we hauled ass, got you back to Sparrowgar pretty quick, um, and then I got out of the truck. Yeah, you know, I helped load you up, and then we got out, and I was one of the guys that helped carry your litter to the helicopter. And at this point, like you said, you're pretty high. But yeah. one of the things that we had, had consistently going at this point in the point was everybody had a Skyrim character. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. So, so, do you remember what you said to me as uh, I was loading you I, out of the Black Hawk? I honestly, from from that point on, it, it's just I was so high as a, I was high yeah. as a kite, and then it just yeah. got. Wait, I just got higher as the, the you know as I got out of there, so I didn't remember so anything for. We're kneeled. I got my hand on the one of the corners at the upper left corner of the stretcher right next to your head, and uh, <laughs> me and you had kicked out a lot on Skyrim after that point in the deployment. 
And so yeah. you looked up at me and you were like, Coffee? I was like, What's up, buddy? You said, Play my Skyrim character for me. <laughs> don't, don't neglect him. <laughs> don't neglect it. You wanted yeah, me to I'd... keep on keeping on with your with your little dude. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's one of my no, cherished I... memories of that deployment. I don't remember that. I remember I remember showing up and they unloaded me. They cut my boots off at that point because that's all I had on was my boots. I was mm-hmm. bare ass naked leaving. And uh, they cut my boots off, and then I remember First Sergeant McCollum came over, and he said, uh, he goes, you probably think you're going home to get laid, huh? I was like, no, you're going to be back here in two weeks, all right? So don't think you're going home. <laughs> and I was like, all right, nice. cool deal. And then the sure. CO came up, and he goes, uh, there we got his radio equipment accounted for. We still got his stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, Been a sir. consistent yeah. theme with him. Yeah. 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 Yep. Accountability, so. man. Commander's worst nightmare. Yeah. yeah, no kidding. And then that was on the bird, and uh, Hollers did such a such a great job patching me up. They put me on the bird, and we're flying out. And I'm I'm like I got my thumb like they taped that fentanyl pop, and I'm just like a little kid sucking on my lollipop, and I'm looking at these flight medics, and they kind of looked at each other, and they kind of looked at me, and they were just kind of like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> "What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do?" And they just kind of yeah. kicked back, and I took my blood pressure, and then just yeah. kicked back and enjoyed the ride, and oh, and then so I get to a. Uh, Get to the hospital there at Kandahar. They wheel me in there, and and I don't know what they gave me, but man, whoo, that was good stuff. They it it put me down quick. Like I was, I was, I was pretty faded. And I was sitting there, just kind of going in and out. And this this chaplain comes into me, and he goes, "Hey, would you would you like to call anybody?" I'm like, "What do you mean call anybody? I don't know anybody here." And he goes, "Yeah, I got a cell phone. You can call somebody back in the states." And I go, "Huh?" You know. High as a kite, like high, yeah. high. Yeah. So I'm like, well, you know, I could call my wife. Probably, I don't, I don't probably want to do that to her. Call her, and then, you know, then mm-hmm. then she doesn't hear anything for a really long time or whatever. So sure. So you know, I'll call my dad. You know, he's kind of has experience in you know delivering bad news, and kind of dealing with this type of stuff. So I'm gonna call my dad. So I call. I was like, well, I don't know my dad's cell phone. I'll call the house. He should be there. Call the house. My mom answers the phone. Oh no. And I'm like, uh, and she's not like the last person on the list that if I'm about, I just got shot. And mm-hmm. I was like, who, who do I want to call? And my mom would be at the bottom of that list. Like, don't want to do that. Hmm. So I'm like, <laughs> <Is> dad, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm like, I'm like high as a kite, just trying to keep it. I'm like, Hey, Hey mom. I was like, is, is dad there? She goes, no, they're out at the, the, at the camp with all the kids out there. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, I got, I got hurt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Kind of bad. <laughs> And like I'm sitting there, like and then like this high voice, and he's like, oh, "Operational security, don't tell her nothing," you know. And I'm just like, "So yeah, I'll talk to you later." <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> and I, that's that's what I left her with was, <laughs> "Yeah, I got oh, her no, bad. your poor mom." <laughs> oh, I'll talk geez. to you later. So yeah, uh, kind of you know. When did you get to talk to him again? Um, a couple of days later. No, I no, not that I remember. Oh, really? I think I talked to my wife. Uh, and like I was so high, I don't remember. I don't remember anything until almost Germany, mm. and like I vaguely remember the horrible, horrible flight from Bagram to uh, to Germany. Sure, that was a miserable flight. C one thirty. Yeah, and they put me on. So they put me on the bottom, on the bottom rack, where they probably stretchers. Well, there was this girl on another rack above me, and every time, like I would be like fading in and out of consciousness. And every time I was just about to go out, she would like roll over and like she had really long hair and it would just smack me in the face and yeah. just, oh, what's going on? You know, like every <laughs> 10, 15 minutes or so. And that was the, that was the whole flight to, to Germany. So, mm. 
did they just a miserable flight? Did they do any surgery at all um, in Afghanistan to like get those fragments out or? Uh, you know, I asked them for the bullet. And I said, "Hey, can I get the bullet?" You know, doesn't seem yeah. like that. But they're like, "Nah, we gotta send it to ballistics." I'm like, "It's a bullet." He shot me with it. Can I have yeah. it? They wouldn't give it to me. So they did that surgery. They cut they cut my stomach open to kind of I think it's kind of a standard procedure type thing to make sure there's no infection with sure. the intestines sure. and stuff. So they cut me up pretty close to my sternum, down wow. almost by my waistline, a little bit lower Whoa. than that. So I think the recovery was more from that than actually getting yeah. shot. Cause and but they did that in country, right? Yeah, they to did pull that the all at, at, at Kandahar. Yeah. I figure I can't imagine they would risk transporting you across the world with bullet fragments with bullet, inside yeah. of you. So no, that was the only surgery, only surgery I had. And then they flew me to Bagram, and I stayed a night. I think I stayed a night or a little bit of time in Bagram. And then I flew to Germany, and I was there in Germany overnight. And then they flew me to Walter Reed. And I was at Walter Reed for a little bit. I didn't know you were at Walter Reed. Yeah. So I was at Walter Reed when when Clark got blown up. Really? Yeah. So when I found out about it. was only a couple days later. Yeah. It was like almost a week. week. It was a week. Yeah. Yeah. Which was, I mean, depending on what you choose to believe, it was your fault for giving him the boots. That Yeah. The boots, man. Those boots had just (laughs) shown up that day. I was pretty pumped to wear them. (laughs) Did not happen. Just couldn't pass that boot on to uh, someone else, I guess. Yeah. What what kind of boots were they? Uh, they were Gourmand T8. It's probably the best boots I've ever owned. Well, you never owned them, so. Well, I actually bought another pair. Oh, uh, okay. After <laughs> that, that, did, that didn't concern you at all, buying the exact same pair again? And, you know, I was like, you know what? I just got to do it. You tested the fates. But you want to know something ironic is I did buy a pair of boots because I didn't have any boots at Fort Stewart. That's I immensely regret being all superstitious that I am because I bought those boots the day before um, uh, your big mission where everybody throat hit chop. that 190 throat chop. Yeah. When, Wait, uh, well, okay, hold on, hold on, hold Wait. on. <laughs> we so you bought this. these Garmont T8s? No, these were a different. No, they were different. I bought well, a pair well, of boots. I don't I'm remember going what back they to the were. beginning. The, you all bought right. the Garmont T8s, got shot. Yep. Gave the. Relinquish them to Eric Clark, mm-hmm. who got blown up while he after he had been wearing them. Who and then Perez took home from him. Perez got shot. Then we burned the boots. Yep. You're saying you bought another pair of boots? Well, yeah, because they cut they cut my boots up in Afghanistan. I didn't have any other boots. So I'm like, well, I need boots. But I bought uh-huh. boots, and then you know, one thing the apparently led to another, and job. yeah, and you guys. Dude, you should just switch to sneakers, man. Yeah, sneakers only. <laughs> no more boots for me. Yeah. Wow. That's what uh, you that's do with actually... the other pair of boots. The other pair of boots? I was like, yeah. no. I was like, no, this can't be. Did you yeah. keep them? I, I don't remember what I did with them. I don't even yeah. remember what boots they were, but I remember buying a pair of boots, and then like within a day or two, it was like, oh, yeah, man. they hit an ID, and a lot of people got hurt. And I was just like, no. No, that can't be. <laughs> no, no, that can't be. Oh man. <laughs> no, I was so I was in the hospital when when I found out that Clark got hit, and the the rear D commander, like, with all due respect, was a total douchebag. He came he came in there and and he was like, uh, "Hey, what's up?" He's kind of on his cell phone, kind of like annoyed to be there, and he goes, "Hey, how's it going?" Oh, yeah, they got another one, and I go, "What?" He goes, yeah, they got an, they got another one. He'll be here in a, about a week or so. I'm like, they got they got who? 
what are you talking about? And he goes, uh, Eric Clark. And I was just like, uh, are you fucking kidding? Yeah, kidding? Like, oh, fuck I like, I, I, if I could have walked at that point, we would have had a problem. But he then yeah. I think he realized like how stupid he was being. He kind of looked at me like, oh, shoot. They must have been friends. And he was like, uh, I got to go now. And he left. And that this was, was at Walter Reed? This is at Walter Reed. Jesus, man. Yeah. Was, yeah. It the, was it one of the third ID people? or? Yeah, it was. he was the rear D commander for uh, 164. Oh, and he was really. just up there visiting or something? Yeah, he was just up there doing rear doing, D Probably being stuff. forced to go up there to do stuff. So not only were you the first one, one of the first ones to leave early from Arbletoon, but you were probably the first one to return to duty, weren't you? Yeah, they had me out there sweeping the motor pool within a month or so. For fuck's sake, seriously? No, so yeah, so it was kind of a kind of a shit show. I got so I was at Walter Reed. Oh man, this is the worst part about it all. Is so I was in the hospital a total of like twelve days, and yeah. uh, so I got to the hospital and they told me, you know, they told me like, all right, we'll fly your wife out to here, but you're about to fly to Fort Stewart tomorrow. I was like, all right, well, just fly her out to Fort Stewart then. They're like, all right, so we'll fly you to Fort Stewart. Make sure you give the doctors this paper. Have them sign it, and then they'll fly your wife out to you down there. So I flew down there, got to the hospital, and they just did like a quick checkup on me, and then they sent me up to what I would assume would be the psych ward. Mm-hmm. And there was it was an empty floor, and they put me in a room by myself, and it was just it was what you would expect. You'd put somebody in a room with a straight jacket. There was a bed, there was like an old like click knob TV up, and a chair in the room, white walls, and that was it. Hmm. and the floor was completely empty and abandoned like it there was nobody up there Hmm. so i'm sitting there i'm like this is not good for my mental health like this is this is gonna ruin me pretty quick so i go all right so i need to get my wife out here can you sign this and they go yeah no i can't sign that you're not sick enough dude i go i'm not sick i'm not sick at all i got shot yeah this is for uh if you're, you're sick you know we'll fly your wife out to you I go, you know, screw you guys. Get me out of the hospital now. I don't want to be here. Yeah. So I called up a buddy who was there and he he drove me home. And my wife was in Oregon at the time because she was visiting family when all this when all this happened. Mm-hmm. So I got home and that was I was just there by myself and I was, you know, I was like, I'm fine. I don't want to go back. Well later I found out that if I would have stayed in that hospital for two more days, they would have lumped some twenty grand into my bank account for all of that. But I was like, Oh, you bastards didn't even tell me that. You know, but so I ended up fly her out by myself. This is a chance for us to get a soapbox out and say, set it would, up. If you are in a any any role in the military, it doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're if you're a fueler, if you're medical, if you're an X-ray technician, if you're 11 Bravo, if you're a fucking 18 Bravo. I don't give a shit. Like, take care of the people around you and realize these are human beings that you're interacting with, and the human beings that are paying a human cost. And so, instead of half-assing it. Or, or neglecting somebody, realize that that human being deserves at the least a modicum of respect and decency. And at the most, they deserve your effort and energy. You know, And if they violate that, fine. But if you're <laughs> going into somebody yeah. and somebody looks at you and says, I got shot, don't blow them off. Help them out. Just do your fucking job and help them out. All right. Stick them on a fucking, in a room on a floor by himself. Yeah. Get the yeah, fuck that was, out of here. I think that was yeah. the worst part. Between leaving uh, Afghanistan, that that room was just that's terrible, man. That's that's it not was terrible. The, that, that I, is I not it. the way. You know what? And I'm gonna call out Third ID on this one. Third ID, you need to step up. <laughs> third was, ID was not prepared to take casualties. That's what. That's one yeah. thing I'm learning from this yeah. entire experience. 
was I think for some reason they had this belief that they were not going to take casualties on this tour because yeah. they didn't have a rep already at Walter Reed when Jay mm-hmm. got there. Like, and eventually they did have some, they got some really good reps down there. But like, you know, how many people, like they almost didn't even let Jay stay at Walter Reed. Honestly, the guys that had the best recovery process are the ones that stayed at Walter Reed. Yeah, Walter Reed is phenomenal. They were, yeah. mm-hmm. they were awesome. They took care yeah. of the guys very well. They took care. They, they took care of me very well when I was yeah. up there. Unfortunately, so, I didn't get to stay up there as long as I probably could have. But I don't know, man. There's a, there's a lot to unpack, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we can't we can't do it because it'll take too long. But you, know, you said something earlier on that I kind of want to circle back around to, and I kind of want to to close this out with because it's really apt and it's an interesting observation. You talked about how you wanted that day off. You know, like you, you were filling the attrition. You've been on countless patrols, countless firefights at this point in the deployment. And all you needed was that day off. But then there seems to be two narratives. People who need that day off, some people take that day off and they never come back from it. You yeah. know, they just, for some, something happens, something occurs that they just can't get back out there, which is fine. You know, I understand that. And then some people get that day off and they get right back into the thick of it. So for you, you got your day off. They got into a series of firefights that day. And then you, you just couldn't do that, man. You, you had to be back out there. You know, what was it for you personally that you think just like drove you to, like you, as you said, be at peace and push back out and just suck it up and do it. I I don't know. I, I, I took that day off. Like it was, it was getting really bad. Um, it's contagious when uh, morale starts going down and uh, when fear takes over on some people, on everybody, everybody has that constant fear and that constant, and then it starts to manifest in people different ways and it's contagious. And uh, we were, we were getting hit pretty hard with uh, a lot of uh, mental attrition with going out for long hours, trying not to step on IEDs and get shot at, and you're doing that constantly and not just for part of the patrol for the entire patrol. Like once you've left mm-hmm. the cop, you're off the road and you're, you're jumping walls and you're trying to not, you know, you're trying to keep your legs and keep everybody alive. And it's just, that's really, just really is really hard to deal with. It's for a lot of people. I mean, you guys, I mean, you obviously, you know, you were there and it affects everybody differently and everybody else has got, everybody's got their limits and, and I was just seeing this going around me and I could, I had I kind of being the RTO, the LT, you kind of have a unique, uh, unique perspective. Sure. It's like everybody's got their platoon or their squad or their team. Like it was, it was just me. Like I was by myself. I mean, I was with you guys, but like I wasn't part of any individual fire team. Yeah. I did, you know, I helped out with comms with the platoon. I helped out any way I could, but like your, your prep for your mission was entirely different than mine. Like you guys got together and you worked together and, and like I could see that from kind of a distance, and I, I kind of felt it like the morale was was ticking away, and I, I think it got to me even um, sure. just like seeing that like mentally like I had my own attrition kind of coming on, and it was <clears throat> it was beating me down pretty good, but uh, when it when it finally was getting to the point where like we we would go hey we're going to uh, we're going to Kashmakan tomorrow, I'm like that's that's not good, that's a really bad place. Or we're going to jot tomorrow. You'd, I'd lay in my bunk and I wouldn't sleep. And I would, it'd be like a half, 
like a half sleep dreaming. Mm. I don't know if you ever had a oh, dream yeah. where you were there. Like you, I we went through the whole patrol. It, it would be in my dreams, but I'd be awake, but not awake. Yep. I guess half conscious and like I would slipping in and out of sleep a lot. Yeah, so I would yeah. I would wake up. Then I would just be like mentally exhausted and drained, and then we would go do that exact patrol that I just dreamed about. Not not like exactly the same thing, right. but it yeah, would, right. It was it was the same patrol that we were doing, and I would now would every every mission that we would go out on. That's the night before. I wouldn't sleep, and I would just lay there in this half sleep, half like dreaming about what we're, what's going to happen the next day. Mm-hmm. And it was just starting to, it was just kind of coming to a head and starting to build up. And that's when I, I went up and I talked to Telty. I was like, I just need, I need to get my mind right. And uh, you, that next day they went out on, around, I think it was around Sketcher, south of Sketcher, somewhere over there. Really bad area. And they just got, they just took a, a pound and they just got constant firefights. I think more than one saw gunner went black on ammo from the constant, like, the constant fighting that they went on that day and, mm. and to sit on the sidelines and watch. Squad, I would think. I don't, yeah, I don't remember. I don't recall that. I think it was, it was Pierce. I think was one of the saw gunners. Cause I always gave, uh, I always give press shit about being a uh, Pierce's AG. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for, for a saw gunner. <laughs> so like, yeah. Cause he had to give, he had to give Pierce ammo because Pierce had, was yeah. on point the whole, that patrol. That would so, have been us. Uh, he had to I give him ammo on that, that one. I remember so I'd be that. like, how does it feel to be Pierce's uh, assistant gunner there, Perez? And he's like, ah, oh, fuck you, dude. <laughs> so I always give him shit about that. I'm, I'm having a hard time remembering this day. I don't remember it specifically, but I do remember the part about Perez giving up his ammo to Pierce because I remember he was Not super about salty about it. it. Oh, yeah, he yeah. was He was salty. I still give him very salty about, about it. it. Mm. And I, if it was to the east, if it was near Salamcon, maybe I think it was Salam, around Salamcon. It was, it was, it wasn't Sketcha. I think is what's that one in between Keshmakan and Sketcha? I think they're all kind of in a line there. Was that was, the one where the A and A guy, guy, got, guy shot? got shot? I think the A and A guy sat on an IED on that patrol. That was that was a little bit further north. I do remember that one too. Yeah, it was it was a brutal it was a brutal day for them. Like mm-hmm. regardless of. But Maybe the, that was low crawl day. Did an A and A guy sit on? Oh man, this is, we're getting into the weeds yeah. here. My shitty memory. It might it might have been low crawl day. <laughs> if if we went if we went black on ammo, but like who, that's but who sat on an ID though? It, I, I, I think it was I just an that was a second that was a second squad mission when the guy sat on the IED. or second platoon mission. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know, so it doesn't it was, matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it was a really particularly matter. violent day. Yeah, I know yeah. that. And and then, uh, yeah. So it's really hard. Like it was hard for me, like just to sit there. Like it was almost worse than being on the patrol for me mentally. Yeah. It was just like it was like shit. What have I done? Like I'm, I am such a dirtbag. I got, they're going out and they're still in the thick of it, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting here you know, trying to get my head right. And it's a, it's not a good feeling. It was not no. a good feeling. Sucks, no, man. and it only works if they, if you do that on a day when everybody comes back and it's an easy day, right? Yeah. You know, that, like you, you can relax knowing that everybody else is, is fine. But yeah, like if it was just been like, you know, just another day, yeah. I think it would have been fine. Or, but maybe, maybe I needed that push mentally to, to myself in my head to tell my, you know, quit being a pussy. You got guys out there and they rely on you. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. Get your right. ass back out there, and if whatever happens, happens. You know, hmm. and uh, so it was just kind of like, all right, so be it. I'm going back. I'm not gonna. I'm not doing this again. Hmm. I think that's 
probably one of my biggest regrets of uh, that whole deployment was taking that day off. That was a tough one. Which you would think would be it'd be an easier day since I didn't do anything, but it's a fairly <clears throat> common theme, man. There's it's happened a few times. I know um Bally wasn't feeling well and he took the patrol off that um Clark got hit. Hmm. Um I took his place on that patrol and that ate him up real bad. Mm-hmm. Um you know, we've talked in the past about Luke's experience at Third Chop. I won't speak for him on that one. I'll let him, I'm sure he'll wanna add his two cents here in a second about that, but on and I had the same thing right after throat chop. I needed a day, and there was a mission that we were supposed to go on. I was like, I need a day, sir. I just need a day, and um, ended up not getting it. And I was glad that I didn't, um, because when when I went out on the mission instead of staying back, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't stay back. Like I couldn't have lived with myself. We didn't take contact either. It was just I needed to push past it and go out. And I was like, okay, I'm good. I'm yeah, good now. It's, I mean, it's, 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 it's weird. You know, I've talked about it before. And um, for me, yeah, that, that day off, unfortunately for me, I picked the worst day of the deployment <laughs> to need a day <laughs> off. Uh, but I think it, 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 there's, it's a hard thing to describe the feeling of disappointment in yourself to that degree. Because I was sitting on the fucking computer and somebody come in and was like, hey, Okoa got shot. I was like, oh, well, okay, what's going on? And then however however long later it's come in and it was Dennis and Evans, all that stuff came down the pipeline. Well, then I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs waiting on them to come back and it's just like, it's devastating, you know? Because you feel... There's nothing relaxing about it. No. Once that starts happening. It's it's devastating to your mind and and it, it... completely destroys your sense of I guess capacity and your ability and uh it it was such a difficult thing to to surmount man and like just that day oh god well I won't dredge back up because yeah. I don't want to talk about it but it's just that yeah like you said you feel like a dirt bag you feel like a real piece of crap you yeah. know yeah it's not a not a good feeling no that and I think I was that was really pushing me mentally like it was bad and i was like no i can't do this you know yeah i'd rather go out there and step on an ied or get shot or blown up you know whatever than sit here and that's a real feeling too like sitting back wishing that you would be there stay like you really wish that you were out there and that you were going to get shot or step on an ied yeah like no. it's a real it's a real thought that crosses your mind if you're on the cop and the and your your guys are out yeah because, I mean, boys, or Eric, you didn't get to experience this because you left early, but when we joined the, the squads together and started doing platoon missions, when we ran out of people, there there was the occasion that you would have, that one or two guys would have a day off. Yeah. And I remember one time Luke and I had a day off, and they were running a mission, and it was in a bad place, um, and we took the, uh, the M14 up on the hill yeah. on our day off. Because we're like, I just can't just sit here and do nothing while they're. I mean, they yeah. were close. There was like Adam's Eye or or uh, they Slomcon. went to that village just to the, immediately to the east there. Mm-hmm. Um, they were trying to like set up an ambush or something. Yeah. It's like wow, we can't just do nothing. So me so, and Curtis, like, it, yeah, we went up in the tower with the M14 just to do Overwatch because like what we couldn't just not. You know? Right. Yeah, we we it just wasn't, and it was weird. I mean, there'd be days where 
people just – it was nice that you could get a day off. It seems kind of stupid to even suggest you would get a day off in combat. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's nice that it became like kind of a, a regular thing and that it wasn't like you had to ask for it or beg for it. It's just like, hey, every couple of days, somebody's going to have a day off. Mm. And then that kind of takes the guilt away because it's not like something you're asking for. It was just part of the schedule, man. Yeah. You know? And that's a, I think I think that's – if you're a leader watching this and you're struggling with how to regulate fatigue and your elements – just schedule it. Schedule it. Yeah, schedule it. it. Like, hey, yeah. man, Monday, you are off. It doesn't matter what. If something bad happens on Monday, there's nothing you could have done to stop it because you were already scheduled to be off. Yes. It's probably better to give somebody a day off before they need to ask for it. Yeah. Uh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah. I, spent most, Good I spent most of that day in the in the talk. And, you know, that probably wasn't any, any more helpful for me than anything else. I spent a lot of time up there, you know, trying to get the inside scoop. Mm-hmm. Exactly what I, I did took, too. As soon as yep. the COVID I took, hit, took I that day off, and then I was like, "You hear them fighting up there, so you go up to talk, and then you hear the radio chatter, and you're just like, then they kick you out of the chalk, and then you, <laughs> yeah, then you're sitting there pacing the <laughs> pacing the door yeah. of the talk, just waiting to for heading or somebody to stick their head out you're and tell you what's hopping going on. up on a guard tower to see if you can see them coming back in. And, yeah, 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 yeah and it's not, not a good feeling at all. It's interesting when you come back from that because, like you said, you you. Essentially, you come to terms with your own self-preservation and that you're willing to sacrifice that self-preservation. Um, and so, like, coming to terms with that is a weird mental space to get into where you just don't care. If I get, if I get shot, if I step on right. an IED, that's just what it's going to be. And then you keep pushing. And it actually, like, weirdly enough, it gets easier. Yeah. After after you get to that point, I don't know if it's a good thing or not, <laughs> but it gets easier to go out. Like that last two months of the deployment was the easiest two months for me in the entire deployment. You yeah, know, we got into, we got into yeah, probably would, five or six good firefights after after the job. Kind of, I kind of wonder if that's kind of your um, the mental way of uh, uh, making up for you know your own shortcomings. Oh like yeah, I felt like I had to make up for it now because. Mm-hmm. You know, I should have been out there, you know, doing my part, and but now I'm up here, and they're out there getting scuffed up. Now I'm kind of, right. you know, oh, it's definitely deterred for being up here. And then, I mean, I feel like I fought harder in that last two months than I did in the entire deployment because I feel like I had to had to make up for it. It's almost like a compensation thing. It's like I fucked up that one time and I let everybody down. And so now, when we get into a firefight, instead of just kind of like hunkering down and swapping a few rounds, I want to stand up on the roof and fucking lay scunion. You know, because yeah. I don't give a fuck. Like I'm gonna, yeah. I'm gonna lay waste. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like Curtis. Yeah, Curtis. As Curtis uh, almost got decked like two almost weeks before leaving. Decked. Yeah, <laughs> but, but there's, there's actually it's it's interesting you mentioned those last two months and it being easy to go out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a part of that was we 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 kind of had it figured out, which we is did. an arrogant way to approach it. Because obviously, as we've talked about, if we kept going, something would have happened, which would have proved us wrong yeah but towards the end i mean we had we had the faith and the trust of our immediate supervisors so mm-hmm. bally nince evans service west all those guys trusted that everyone was going to do the right thing so you didn't have this like battle of wills between your immediate supervisors um so you could go out with confidence like hey i know what i need to bring i know what i need to do i know where to step i know where not to step i know you know, how to move about um, a lot of those things that are scary at first because you don't know are kind of gone. Um, it's, a, it's a really interesting observation. I agree. It was, I never had any anxiety about going out the wire except one time, hmm. which was right after Throat Chop. We went back to Najat like five days later. Yeah. 
and that that one that one was really hard to step out the wire for. Yeah. But after I did that one, I was like, cool, I'm good. Yeah, I'm we did now. take contact that mission. Yeah. I did don't think we? we did. I don't think we did. I we rolled a dude up. I remember that. Did we? I don't, we I don't like remember. grabbed some dude in his laptop and stuff. It was oh like right, yeah, we didn't take yeah. contact. Yeah, it was it was. It was actually a really smooth mission. Like we got in it there, was. you know, we won't. <laughs> it was a successful mission in that we got in there, got our guy, got out, didn't take contact because it's right in the northeast edge of the Najat. It's like one of the first compounds. It was nice because I actually remember that was probably the first time the deployment. I was actually cool, you know, like we said into the blocking position. I was cold, like, yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, it's actually cool outside. This feels <laughs> nice because that was probably November, I guess, or October. Yeah, that would have been October. Um, well. You know, one of the things, Eric, that we do at the end of every episode is give everybody a chance to just say whatever you want. You know, we um, we we give the mic to you, if you will, and anything that we didn't cover or anything you really want to get out there, uh, just take it away, buddy. I mean, I think we pretty well covered what, I don't know, we hope to cover, but uh, no, I appreciate what you guys are doing. Um, it's really good to hear some of the perspectives of uh, some of the other people. Um, sometimes you have some of the kind of the little things you see you've struggled with over the years and then you kind of hear it from their perspective and then you're kind of like, oh, all right, that makes sense, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, I know I, I had personal problems with uh, certain people that were above me and they kind of rubbed me the wrong way or it, it you know, um, but hearing, you know, starting to hear some more of these things, it's kind of like, you know. Pull, like like you said, uh, in one of the kitchen's episodes, take the, the burr out of the saddle or the thorn out of your side a little bit. You know? Yeah. Bury the hatchet. And, uh, what Captain Kitchen said, uh, everybody has, uh, assume everybody has noble intent. Um, that kind of stuck with me when he said that. I was like, oh, that makes makes sense. Nobody's trying to screw you over. But yeah, for me personally, it's, it's good to hear some of these other stories and other perspectives from from our time over there. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, I appreciate been... it. and interesting yeah. good to hear <laughs> yeah but <laughs> well we, we appreciate you coming on man it, it's been interesting yeah. for me especially because I was, I was in the same boat you know i had i had some thorns in my side and uh about some people but you know you know it was it's been really good i hope that for other people who are listening it's a healing process for you to you know bygones be bygones yeah for, for most sure. people, I'm still sticking a few thorns a little bit. Deeper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's there's one person I will there's, never there's, forgive for anything. There's one thorn that's going real deep. <laughs> yeah, one thorn um, that's uh, that's embedded so deeply that it'll never be. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. Well, I, I'll echo what Luke said. We really appreciate you coming on, man. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's an important story to tell, and we're uh, we're just thankful that you trusted us to let us help you tell it. Well, thank you for uh, having me on. I heard you yeah. guys are doing the podcast. Wow, that'd be really cool to hear. And then you contacted me. I was like, me? <laughs> All right, I guess. <laughs> Little old me. Yeah. Well, brother, I think the note to end it on is um, whenever they hauled your your poor little ass out of there, and you're a little guy, <laughs> so, yeah. when they hauled you out of Sketcha and loaded you on in my truck, and uh, I hope to haul you up into the back, there's nothing but love for you in that moment. The beautiful kind of love you only experience in those crazy wild hectic moments brother so we appreciate no, I, you we love you i appreciate it i know a lot of people had to work their sweat their asses off to get me out of there you know, I, was, <laughs> I was only 140 pounds at that point yeah <laughs> carrying a 140 pound dude in full kit for a click and a half is mm-hmm. it's no small task so yeah 
Yeah, All thanks right. for everybody that, you know, I probably wouldn't even be here if, you know, half the guys are out there were there. So, cool. It was awesome. I felt, I, I can honestly say once it was all said and done and they'd load me up on the stretcher, you know, and I felt guilty for that too, but I was like, man, I'm, peace, I'm out. Yeah, you know? peace, <laughs> I'm out, I'm out. <laughs>